Amen. Thank you, Brother Allen. Keep your Bibles. Turn with us again to Matthew eleven twenty nine. Uh, we've been there for about seems like six months. But anybody want to volunteer and read that for me, please? Thank you, Lavenda. Our our focus at this point in our series is the middle of the verse where Jesus says, "Learn of me." Now, again, we've had this over several times over the last few weeks. Uh, who would be a better example than Jesus? Nobody. And that's why he says, learn of me. The one who is the perfect pattern of everything, holiness, virtue, obedience, above uh, any other we, we could ever know. And he's the only one who could be the perfect one to learn from. We spent quite a few weeks already on this topic, about six, and we've looked at what's involved in imitating Christ, and we have found out that as a, if, if, we are, if, if you're a Christian, those of us who are Christians, imitating Christ is not an option. It is essential. Now, remember, we're you know, back early on in our first study on this particular example of Christ, uh, there were some who would say, Salvation comes by imitating Christ. That is not true. Salvation is by grace through faith alone. Now, but once we're saved, we are then to imitate Christ. And when I say it's essential, it truly is. But I'm convinced that those who are truly born again will want to imitate Christ. That, that'll be the, uh, the desire of their heart. We spent uh, at least one week looking at some of the things that Jesus did that we cannot imitate. Uh, you know, he was uh, completely holy. He was sinless. Uh, he, he died for the sins of mankind. We can't do that. So um, that also some of the miracles that he did, we can't imitate that. But then we have about seven things that we can imitate. Uh, that's his, the purity and holiness, holiness in his life. Also, his obedience uh, to the Father's will. Uh, the fact that he had his self-denial. And I remember he was God uh, in the flesh. And if anybody deserved anything, who did? He did. But yet he, he lived of self-denial. That's our pattern. And also, he was very diligent to fulfill the work that God the Father gave to him to do. In fact, he told the disciples he had to work while it is day. So he's very diligent about that. But also, uh, his life on earth was uh, not offensive. He wasn't rude. He wasn't crude. Now, sure, he spoke the truth, but he spoke it in love. And so we need to use that as a pattern in our life. Also, his humility, his meekness, uh, without a doubt, is something we can imitate. But the seventh thing we looked at last week was the fact that he was content uh, with his lot here on this earth. He, uh, he is God in the flesh, no doubt about that. Uh, but he was born in a manger. Uh, he lived pretty well a poor life. In fact, he said that foxes have holes and the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. So a great example for us as well, to be content with a lot in life that God has given us. So also, and we need to understand, when we talk about imitating Christ, one of the greatest um, evidences that a person has been born again is that they are imitating him in the way they live on this earth. Now, 
I believe that needs to be preached today. Because there are so many in the church whose profession is empty because they really haven't come to know the Lord Jesus Christ because they're not imitating Him. And when you preach that, their emptiness will be exposed. Now we're going to look at uh, three verses from 1 John in just a second here. And uh, we're going to read those verses first. And uh, then I want to just ask a couple of questions. I'll, I'll come back and kind of... Uh, dissect those verses a little bit. The first one I want to read is 1 John chapter 2, verse 4. Anybody got that? All right, thank you, Lavenda. Uh, verse 9, same chapter. 1 John 2. First uh, John 2, look at verse 6. Okay, thank you, Levin. And now, I, I kind of t- took the out of order there for that last verse. But of those three verses, uh, what do you see in common? What words do you see in common there? How's the verse introduced? Say it again, Alan. He that saith. So, what do you think that means? Okay. Okay. Now, so people can say what? Yeah, anything. He that saith. All right. Now, in verse 4, John, speaking of the Word of God, said, if you say that you know Him and you don't keep the commandments, you're what? You're lying. You are a liar. In fact... It goes as far as to say the truth is not in you. So the truth of the matter is anyone can claim to know Christ. Isn't that true? Easy to do. But the way you check their profession, if it's authentic, is whether or not they obey the word of God. Now, notice the language that John uses to convey that truth. He says, if you say you know him and you don't keep his commandments, you're a what? You're a liar. Now, I don't know about you, that's pretty tough language. <laughs> Could you imagine a pastor today telling someone in the church they're a liar? How long are they going to stay? Not long. And the sad thing is, that's exactly what that verse says. In fact, it's so clear that the person who claims to know God, but does not obey his commandments, the Bible says, is a liar. And the fact of the matter is, the truth doesn't exist in that person in any form at all. Tough language. We skip verse 6 to last, but in verse 9, we see it again. He that saith. Now, talk about being in the light. And you hate your brother. You're still in darkness. Now, believe it or not, I've seen it happen in our church years ago. People that didn't get along 
One would sit over here and one would sit over there. And never the twain would meet. Now I want to tell you something, folks. That is sin in the eyes of God. I don't care who you are. Now, because everybody is not like me, I know not, not everybody's easy to get along with. But the fact of the matter, none of us are always easy to get along with. But John is very clear. And he gives an absolute contrast between light and darkness, between love and hate, between God and the world. Now, first of all, John says light and complete darkness cannot coexist. It's just not possible, not at the same time. John said you can't have love and hate the same person. You can't do it. And John also says you can't love God and hang on to the world. Now, again, I, I like the way John writes. It's to the point. And his words are tough. But it's the truth from God. So John says, if you are filled with light, by extension, you ought to also be filled with love. Because the two kind of go together. (laughs) So John says, if you say, if you make the claim while hating your brother or sister, John says, your claim to be in the light is false. It is not true. John says, you are still in darkness. And by the way, to hate our brother or sister in Christ is a sure indication that maybe that person never came to the light. Folks, let me remind you again, and I know you all know this, salvation is an inward experience. It is a work of God in our hearts. It's more than joining a church. It's more than being baptized. It is more than just preaching, just repeating some words. And all those things may be involved once we're saved. But my friend, genuine salvation is the work of God where He begins to transform our life. And our lives change. And that's why John is so clear uh, in his uh, use of these words and so strong. And then in verse 6, the one we saved till last, again, John says, If we say you abide in him, claim you do, John says you need to walk the way Jesus walked. Now again, to abide in Christ means you have a close, intimate relationship. That's what it's talking about. And so you can identify genuine believers because you can know they are in Christ by seeing if they are obedient to the Word of God. And here in verse 6, John defines that obedience as walking as Jesus walked, imitating his life. And I think we all understand, I hope we do anyway, that in John's epistles as well as in the other letters that Paul or Peter would write or James, if they're talking about walking, 
He's speaking about people, uh, how they conduct their lives, and express other attitudes in their actions. John says, if you say you abide in Christ, you're going to live the way he lived. You're going to imitate the things he did while he was here. And it's also interesting, we talked about this a few weeks ago, of the seven things we can do that Christ did. One thing he did, uh, in human terms, he showed us how to have absolute obedience to the Father. And he set that example for us. So if you ever want to know, if you ever want to know how to obey God, look to Jesus. Look to Jesus. And think about that. Anyone who truly desires to live in Christ, to abide in Him, must walk as Jesus did. Now, by the way, when we talk about walking with Jesus, we are not just talking about uh, copying His, you know, copying His life. Uh, think about that. Uh, because we mentioned some things that we cannot do, uh, because a lot of what Jesus did had to do with the fact, with his identity as the Son of God, and also his special role in dying for sins. Now, how many sons did God have? Just one, Jesus Christ. Now, he's bringing many sons to glory, but we are not the Son of God in the way that Christ is. So, again... If we claim that we live in Christ, if we claim to abide in Christ, we have to back it up by following his example of complete complete obedience to God and loving service to his people. He that saith, he abides in him. Now, by the way, abiding in him signifies that that person has an interest in and wants communion with Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. And the only way we can establish that claim is to walk the way that Jesus walked, imitate the example he left for us to follow if we're going to abide in him. Now, by understand this as well. Everyone who claims to be a Christian, we are bound to that imitation of him. Because if we don't imitate him, we are not abiding in him. We are not abiding in him. Now, we talked about some reasons why this uh, imitation was necessary. Uh, First of all, we talked about the established order of salvation. We are saved. By faith, by grace, through faith. But once we're saved, God predestined us to be conformed to the image of his son, Jesus Christ. Second of all, we talked about the union of Christ and the church, that mystical union. He is our head. We are the body of Christ. And we're to be like him. First uh, Corinthians 15, look at verses 48 and 49.
reading about heaven today, some of the promises that God gives me. And how many know when we get to heaven, we are going to have renewed bodies? Tell you what. Amen, yeah. Uh, no more of this. And most of us have got the point in our life, anytime we get up, we groan. If you're like me, you don't want to get up. <laughs> Tonight, just before we got ready to come to church, I was in the, at, the, at the table. We'd already eaten. It was all cleaned up and just sitting here waiting. And Pam said, come on, it's time to go. And I kind of looked at her. She said, now you got to get up if we're going to go. It's easier to sit down than just get up sometimes, you know. But when we get to heaven, we're going to have a perfect, perfect body. And understand something, folks. There's going to come a time when we see him face to face, we are going to be just like him. Just like him. A glorified body. And that will be complete and perfect after our resurrection. But understand that we begin that lifestyle now by imitating Christ. And we're going toward that because of the work of regeneration. The third reason, uh, because uh, we desire to have communion with him. And if we're going to have communion with Christ, we must imitate him. The fourth thing we talked about uh, was the perfect life that he lived as our example. Now again, the main reason he came was to die for sinners. I realize that. But another reason that he came uh, was to show us how we ought to live. He came in the flesh. He became one of us. So he could show us how we ought to live in holiness as we imitate him in our walk on earth. But also, the fifth thing is, if we're going to be one of his followers... We have to imitate him. John twelve twenty six. We've got to follow him. Amen. We've got to follow him. But the sixth reason we imitate him, we want to uphold the honor of Christ. And folks, that's the only way to do that. And the sad thing is there are so many professing Christians who probably have never really known the Lord Jesus Christ. Their life hasn't changed. And the way they live has caused the world to bring derogatory comments toward the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, understand something, folks. What matters the most in my life is not what people think of me. What do they think of Christ? And people are watching our lives. They, they, they see what we do. They hear what we say. Uh, and so the question is, does what we say line up with how we live? Are we living those kind of lives before God? I was, um, I don't know how it got on my desk at home today. And at first I thought it was a Christmas card that Pam had gotten through the mail that I hadn't seen. And I looked at it, and I realized it wasn't a Christmas card. And I'd forgotten even getting the card. Uh, there was a young man who used to work for us for several for a couple of years, and and uh, he sent me a card of thanks. And in that card, he he made the statement 
He said, you're one of the few I have seen who lived out what you professed. And he said, you've impacted my life. Now, as far as I know, he didn't get saved yet. But I thought, you know what? That's what God wants. He wants us to live lives that are consistent. And when we do that with what we say, when we do that, uh, we honor the Lord Jesus Christ. So from all those things we've talked about, that why we should imitate him, um, there's some inferences we can draw. Number one, what would it be like if every Christian would imitate Christ? What would it be like? Say it again. Oh, yeah. Would you agree it would be a better world? A better place to live? Absolutely. Now, I, I told you a few weeks ago, I think Barna, uh, or maybe Pew Research One, uh, claimed that about, I don't know how many, a third of Americans, uh, or two-thirds maybe, uh, claim to know Jesus Christ uh, in the world. I mean, in our world. And, uh, but I'm, I'm wondering if they would not just ask those who do, but somehow able to discern which ones actually practice living for Christ. I think those numbers would drop from those who claim to be Christians. Because that, those are certainly not the same. And, and by the way, I, and Phyllis, you're right. Uh, the third thing is, inferred from this, our world will be a whole lot better. A whole lot better if Christianity uh, prevailed in our world. Now, uh, it would humble the proud. It would mellow the self-willed. And it would spiritualize those who are living carnal lives. If you've done any research at all, um, well, let me give it to you easy. I don't want to shock you. Did you know we live in a perverse world? Think about that. And how, do you realize how many people in our world, this perverse world, they claim that Christianity is the cause of all the trouble in the world. What's wrong with that? You what? Okay, it's not true. I, uh, you may hear his, uh, he has like a two-minute thing every day on radio now, Steve Brown. He used to have a 15-minute daily radio program. It's not in our area anymore. But anyway, he, he did a message one time, the church are us. And his message was about some of the things the church has done through the years that's not been so good. And that has happened. But just because they claim to be a church doesn't mean they're a church. No. But I know what the perverse world says as they try to say that Christianity is the cause of all the trouble in our world, or most of it. But the truth is 
The only thing that can cure the problems of this world is pure Christianity. That's it. That is it. If even the majority of a world were genuinely born again, If the majority of the world followed Christ in holiness, followed Him in meekness, self-denial, I believe we could close all the prisons. We wouldn't need them. I believe we could do what Isaiah prophesied about at a time when you would beat your swords into plowshares. Don't need a weapon anymore. Because jealousy, animosity will be gone from the world. And my friend, that's the the greatest difference between heaven and a world that follows the wicked one. A great difference. In heaven, the atmosphere is one of holiness. And understand, our world hates holiness here. And the longer we live the more we're going to find ways our laws are going to try to ban that. I read today, California has a law. I'm trying to think exactly what it said. I don't know if it's a person or an organization, but if you refuse to use gender-friendly pronouns, you could be fined $500. Something wrong in our world. The fourth thing it infers, the best friends I have are Christian people. Hands down. Hands down. What a blessing it is to fellowship with those who are truly seeking to follow the example of Christ. Think about the holiness. Think about the fruits of the Spirit that are in them. And it's just a joy to know those kind of people as our companions. Their lives show the praise to the one who brought them out of darkness. And something of the fruit of the Spirit is Evident in all their lives in some way. But my question is, now that we are Christians, does that mean we're perfect? No. Because we're all sanctified to a certain degree. And not everyone may reach the degree you are sanctified. We have to understand that. So we're not perfect. And I think, in my opinion, that's one of the reasons the Bible says that love will cover a multitude of sins. But we also have to understand, because of that, there will be a difference between one Christian and another. We have to understand that. There are things about you that are likable. Things that are not. Things about me that are likable. Things that 
are not. It doesn't matter how long you've served the Lord Jesus Christ. We are not perfect yet. Uh, we ought to be striving for that, but we are not there yet. No wonder Paul says we're to, we're to forbear one another in love. You know what that word forbear means? Put up with one another in love. But understand this. Even with our shortcomings, with our infirmities, God's family is still the best family on earth. Praise His holy name. And what a joy it is to have that fellowship of those that we can tell and we can see in the way they live are imitating the likeness of Christ. The fifth inference here, because imitating Christ is of true salvation, the conclusion, the inference is, is that those who do not walk after him, but after their own desires, they are lost. Jesus Christ wants to be our Lord and Savior. And there are many who hope to be saved by Christ, and yet they will not allow Him to govern their lives. Now understand something, folks. If we want to be saved, He has to be Lord of our lives. He has to be Lord of our lives. Now, again, they will say, I want to be saved. I just refuse to allow him to take control of my life. And the Bible says, you know what? That can't happen. That cannot be true. 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 10. What's that verse tell us? Well, first of all, who is Paul writing to? Is he writing to the unsaved? He's writing to the church. And Paul said, let me tell you something. Here's a list of people. If they're living this way, Paul says, maybe they might make it to heaven. Is that what it says? No. They will not inherit the kingdom of God. So what's Paul saying? If Now, by the way, later on, Paul says, of which were some are you, but you were washed, you were cleansed, you were sanctified. So the bottom line is this. If we claim to know Jesus Christ as our Savior, if that is genuine, we won't live this kind of lifestyle. Jesus died to cleanse us from our sin, but also to bring us out of that sinful lifestyle. Romans 12, look at verse 2. 
Thank you, Phyllis. Be not conformed to this world. Help me out here. Is our world today in America trying to make us conform to them? You, somebody said yes. So how, you, how do you see that happening? What you had to 